Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I love Welcome to Celtic Stuff Live on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of your coverage for the Boston Celtics. Breaking news, breaking news. Hot off the presses. Seriously, John. Okay, Ainge retires, and this is a major bookend for our show, to be honest with you. I mean, when the Celtics hired Ainge is when I really started paying attention again. I felt when they brought Ainge on board that this was going to change, you know, the direction, the unfortunate direction of this organization for basically since the end of the bird era. And, uh, and I felt very confident about that. So it's interesting that, you know, I'd start a blog and then within a year there'd be a podcast and then a lot, you know, the live show and then bang, 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 bang. Everything picked up pretty quickly with, with us getting off the ground um, early in the Ainge era, and it, it's almost ironic that, you know, <laughs> it's been so long, <laughs> you know, underneath the Ainge era that we literally just had my son on for the very first time, who just turned 18, and I could tell you that this podcasting thing was what I did when I lost my social life. <laughs> so I just find it so ironic that within days of bringing him on the show for the first time, uh, you know, age retires. I'm feeling like a major passing of the torch in so many ways in the last couple of days. And, you know, obviously the Celtics go down swing and as hard as they could possibly swing in a game five loss in Brooklyn and really made it a first half anyway. But, uh, but this is the news, and I honestly, John, uh, am surprised and shocked that they were able to qu- keep this as quiet as they did for so many months and have these plans in place for Brad. Maybe the Brad part and the conversation with Brad wasn't, you know, uh, many months old, but the conversation between ownership and Danny is many months old. It's, it's quite shocking that they kept this that quiet. And and I gotta think the pandemic and uh, isolation had a lot to do with that. To be honest with you, 
Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think that's true. Um, and, and I and I would before going down that road, I just want to echo what you said in terms of the impact of this because Danny Ainge, um, you know, there's 18 years. <laughs> there are kids who were born the day Danny was was announced. Yeah, basically um, my son. <laughs> right, <laughs> who are graduating high school this year. Yeah. Right, yeah. Uh, they don't know what it's like to have a Danny Ainge not be the general manager of the Boston Celtics. I mean, they're right. I mean, this is graduates walking down the aisle, diploma in hand within weeks here or days or whatever. And they don't know any other option. What an amazing tenure. Let me tell you something. Uh, It's not great. The grass is not necessarily greener on the other side. No, And we'll get into that. Yeah. We'll, you know, we'll get into the Brad, you know, all that. I, I just want to say, I mean, I think that that you're absolutely right. The bookend of this and what this, what the Danny Ainge era, what his involvement and his intelligence and his his guts and the way that he turned this whole thing around, um, no doubt that's trading Antoine Walker and and the thank God. Dude, I agree, thank God, but my roommate at the time and I were huge Celtics fans, and uh, by the way, he picked Bledsoe, I picked Brady, you might have heard this story before, Yes. and he was a Walker guy and I was a Pierce guy, and I just you know, let him know uh, ever since then, regularly and continuously, that he clearly knows nothing about sports, and uh, I am the whiz, the whiz, the whiz. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, yeah. No, he but lost he, two battles on that though. It's funny, but I remember he when he I remember when Danny traded Walker, he was fuming mad. He turned on he turned on Danny in an instant. Whoops. And why could you do that? And then you remember Danny traded him and brought him back to finish yes. out a season. Yes. And I remember we went and, and watched them trounce the Atlanta Hawks that year. Um just to be able to relive old memories together of watching Pearson Walker. We took the Down Easter in the North Station and uh yeah. Um what an interesting what what just like he came in with a bang, but he really kinda went out quietly. Really well, I mean I know this is I know this is big news. But. Yeah, it's huge. But but in terms of I think the the production on the floor and it's it's not in keeping with the way that he ran the team, the way that he made moves, the way in which he was uh, I think an, an unbelievable success as a, as a leading um, person uh, in the NBA. At, at, you know, in terms of the decision makers that are out there. I think that there are few and very few who are better than him. And I, you know, look, I understand that there may be a time he, he may have overstayed his welcome. Things may have, you know, he may be, you know, the health thing might be more real than, than we want to admit or whatever. Um, I, all of that could be true, but what I see is he picked two pretty dynamic players, I think, uh, at mm-hmm. mid to late first round last year. Um, I think the jury's still out on that 2019 class. I had a pretty uh, little, you know, thread I was going on last night on Twitter just to say, look, these guys have the 2019 class has really not had its best shake, uh, and and the Celtics went in pretty heavy on that class, three three picks. Uh, three players in the mid to late round, uh, first round. And but even then, just just, just great. talking generally and very high level, 
like when people say that Danny Ainge can't draft, he's done an amazing job. It's stupid. He, he's killed it's a it. Stupid comment. He's, it's a stupid comment. He's killed it when he's been in the top of the draft. You know, yes. and and even Marcus Smart was killing it. When you look at, I mean, I know you can say, oh, right. you know, all these no, players, yep. but 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 the truth is, when you really look at what was up there, and he had pick number six, and it really wasn't that strong of a draft, and definitely wasn't recognized as a strong draft even at the time. They were like, hey, six picks, pretty good, just not in this draft. You know, and that's what people said, right. and and then here we are, you know, and and is Marcus is Marcus a, an All NBA player? No, but he's an All NBA defender, right, and uh, I think it's and, and he's a character guy. I mean, I think that that I think Danny has done an amazing, amazing job. Um, and even when he made moves, I mean, he brought Kevin Garnett to Boston. He brought Ray Allen so we could get Kevin Garnett to Boston. Um, he did that with Al Jefferson and Delonte West and Tony Allen. Right. Um, when you and and picks. But when you and then and then he moved KG and Pierce and he get I mean look I'm sorry but there just aren't a lot of people in the NBA outside of maybe the Spurs that have been able to put that level of you know draft success and I and, and I'll even go to what say are, I think the Spurs in many cases just because they were always picking at the bottom of the draft did a pretty amazing job with the draft themselves sure, but sure. but but that's the to me that's the comparable over that period of time same same you know 20 years. That that's the comp in terms of, you know, teams that have just done really well in the draft consistently, you know, for nearly two decades. Those are the two. There's no there's no other team on par with that. Not one. The the flack that he's going to get is that, you know, the Spurs won five and he He won won one. one. Yeah. But but I, I would say if Tim Duncan had the same sort of injury that Kevin Garnett had, I think the numbers would have been a lot closer. Um that or if Kevin Garnett three, had come earlier, you got to sure. remember the Spurs got Tim Duncan right. when they still had David Robinson. Exactly, and we should have won the draft, and they did. I mean, luck mm-hmm. never played in our favor when it came to the ping pong balls. And you know, it's one thing to get somebody who's going to play twenty years, who's going to go into the Hall of Fame, and then build around him with free agent acquisitions, having a coach that's been recognized in the league as a top coach, just all the things that attract free agents. Um, the only thing I'll say about San Antonio is it's kind of a small market, really. So you got to take your hats off. They had things that were working against them, and, and you're right against the one against five. But not once did those ping pong balls go our way, and yet Danny well, just kept once. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Once they did. <laughs> right, once. We talk about the latter half, but you're right. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's what he did is he turned around the luck, really. I mean, even when it, it wasn't lucky, he turned – he used his skill to turn the bad luck into something unbelievable in, in getting Garnett. And that's – I mean, I, I just – I feel like – the. You know, not only is is Twitter uh, and and the the discourse so ignorant and and really brain dead um, surrounding how good he was. Oh, I haven't I haven't had a chance to watch anything. Oh, Are you talking about before awful. today or now? Is everybody saying it's about time we cleaned house? Nobody wants yeah. to trade with Danny because he's Danny and he gets the best right. of everybody. And yeah, I already though I before, had a five minute conversation with my son. Yeah. And he brought that point up, and I said, "That sounds like mainstream media to me." Yeah, it, it's before it's before today, and then it's it's kind of ramped into overdrive, and 
you know, look, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pretend this was a great season, but uh, you know, I've been hearing all year about how this season doesn't count. Um, I, I, I don't think we're somehow going to pick and choose what does count and what doesn't count. And, I'm going to just look at 18 years and say how many people have made more consequential deals than KG, acquiring KG, trading KG and Paul Pierce, trading the number one pick for the number three pick. Um, That doesn't happen. I mean, he's basically, I bet three of the top five deals in the last 25 years have Danny Ainge's name on them. That, no one's got that under the resume. Not there isn't one. You give me any name. You throw Pat Riley at me. You can throw whoever Sam Presti. I don't care. None of those deals. None of those deals have hold, can hold a candle to what Danny did with trade assets. So I'm just if you want to have a, a <laughs> if you want to go someplace and say Danny Ainge sucks and thank God they got rid of him. This isn't gonna be. You're not gonna get that from me. Um, might there have been reasons to move? We can talk about that, but, uh, just because of age and health and whatever, but the record to me, um, I wouldn't say it's impeccable, but I'd say it was, it was as strong as if not stronger than all but a handful in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And yeah, luck, luck matters. Luck mattered for red luck mattered for, for Danny Ainge luck matters for Pat Riley. It matters for all the greats. Um, and you know, <laughs> A pandemic gets in the way and, you know, Hayward's leg shatters. Um, you know, these are things you can't control. And uh, so, you know, I think to put the bookend on 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 the Danny Ainge experience to me, like I think that there's really no way you can um, you can overstate how strong it was. His his record was. And I and I still believe that the jury's still a bit out on um you know, the last couple of years, at least in terms of if you want to look at the draft, you know, I think that there's some I, I think there's more argument to be made about moving on faster from guys like Hayward and Kyrie and and all that. I think that is really and that really does set the tenor for where the Celtics are right now. But if you want right. to throw the throw the gauntlet of the 2019 draft class and say, see, he sucks. I'm just not there. Because oh, I just dude, said last you are just night, riding that pony. You're just riding that pony. The 2019 draft. Oh my god! Here we go. Hold you on. You cannot bring this up all summer. You cannot bring this up all summer. It's it's what they're saying. It's what the it's. I, what he, I just heard Bill Simmons talk about why didn't they just throw five extra picks to trade up to get whoever. Um, have a dance like partner. Well. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's that's what people are hearing. Okay. And what we've always done is I just can't even that. I don't even want to talk about that. I'm just saying that. the 2019 draft. Yeah, I don't even want to talk the about the 2019 that. draft. Blah, blah, blah. Rob, well, stop it. Come no, on. Not you, them. It's just I know. Boys. I'm just saying, it's just, yeah, the, but Rob, a year ago, where was Rob Williams? A, not even a year ago, six months ago in November. Rob Williams was people there were so much questions about Rob Williams that the Celtics had to go out and spend 10 million dollars to over or 18 million dollars over 2 years to bring in Tristan Thompson. So you know look we we could be in that position with uh you know and look at where we think of Rob now. We could be in that very same spot with Grant and Romeo. I'm a little more out on Carson, but at least those two way out. Those way two, out. Now you're thinking something different about about that 19 draft class. 
So okay. that's just my – I'm just kind of fed up with that, you know, bitching about the 2019 draft. Oh, class. I could tell. I could tell. This is off. To me, I, I, I could tell it pisses you off, but to me that's just such a yawner of a conversation. Right. Like if I'm going to have a conversation about something, it's got to have legitimacy. You can't take one draft class and use that to toss out an 18 year career. And it's that simple. It's not even worth debating. It's not worth breaking down Rob Williams and whether they could have had this trade or not. You know what is worth talking about in this whole scenario is what the hell was really going on in the background. Like you said, the health and everything else. But there was something that, you know, both Angel alluded to and Brad in wanting to move out of the head coaching position about managing the team and everything else during the pandemic took a toll on them. What does that mean? Does that mean that the league made this difficult? Does it mean like what side of the fence did they stand on with all that? Did they think that everything should be shut down? Were they worn out because the finances of running the team and just figuring out how they were going to navigate that? Like, or or was there something going on culturally? You know, I, I, I just feel like – and we're not – and here's the deal. Not only do I feel like there's a heck of a lot more to the story behind the scenes, I also know we're definitely not going to hear any of it, at least not anytime soon, because Brad is sticking around, right? If Ainge had retired and Brad said, you know what, <laughs> it's time for me to move on. I don't really want to be a head coach. I want to be a GM and they're not going to have, you know, they're not going to give me the opportunity or, you know what, it's changing of the guard. We're just going to all go our separate ways. I think we would have gotten a lot more intel in the next six to 12 months about what was really going on because Brad is sticking around. You're not going to hear shit. We're not going to, we're not going to get any details about what was going on. I mean, cause obviously there were lots of conversations, lots of emotions, you know, you don't use words like burnout, force, you know, basically push me out of the game. I couldn't, you don't, you don't do things like that mm-hmm. simply because of isolation and having to adapt, you know, to not having fans in the building and, you know, a shortened off season, you know, like there's way bigger things going on. And, and, and here's another question. Didn't you think that Austin Ainge was being groomed for all of this? I think at one point, yeah. I think is, that was so. What Danny's does at hope. one point mean? Yeah, Do you think I think just, I think Danny was trying to make that a thing, you know. But I, I I'm not. I think I think that lost its luster, perhaps as um you as know, what? I think, That's my I think question, Dan, I think Brad grew close. I think Brad probably put himself in a position where. Um, Wick was very trusting and kind of, he became Wick's guy, quite frankly. I think that because let's, there's also, there was a point, and this is a, this is something that Ian Begley, uh, reported is that there was a member of Celtics, a prominent member of the Celtics hierarchy who wanted Brad fired. Who was that? And Danny talked them out of it. Now, my guess is, wait, that hold on. Fact. It was who? Peg, Pagliuca, yeah, yeah, and so if that's the case, to me it seems like it sets up a situation where Wick's guy's Brad, and Danny was always Pag's guy, and the the, the governor gets his way, the managing partner gets his way. Um, maybe that's oversimplistic, but 
it's just kind of the way I, I was leaning. And if that's the case, but I see what you be mean because of... Ainge, you're saying Ainge was Pags guy. So if anybody yes. was going to talk somebody out of wanting to fire Brad, it would yes. have been Ainge because he had the relationship to do that. It's, yes, and and I think Pagliuca doesn't have the juice that Wick does to and, pull it off Wick, anyway. Yeah. Exactly. It, Wick, Pags had to make it Wick and Danny to, to buy into that idea. He couldn't do it on its own. So if that's the case, I'm just, I'm kind of, if so facto, uh, if this, then what I'm saying is I feel like as Brad and Wick grew closer together, that created a situation where Danny didn't have as much juice vis-a-vis everybody. Um, that's now that's talk talk about some serious like things that make you go hmm, uh, but it just it seems to me that's the only thing that makes sense. And if that's the case, then you know if 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 Wick isn't necessarily as much Danny's guy, then you know Danny's not going to be able to call his own shot in terms of where, where Austin goes. And there's also this this aspect to it that uh, you know Danny's buddy buys the Utah Jazz and you know. You know, maybe that's uh, you know. He heads home to Utah. Yeah. Yeah, or you know, to Utah, which yeah, is there's you know a lot of family there. Um, so yeah, there's there is that aspect to it. And and I was, I hate to say it, I had the TV on uh, when I was temporarily paralyzed and unable to change the channel. Um, (laughs) Felger and Maz were on, and they were just talking about that. You know, they felt like it's a firing. That, that effectively ownership was firing both guys from their jobs. And the only reason Stevens is, is in the position he's in is because he had a longer contract. And it was just there. This is simply, you know, kind of keep him on, on <laughs> under contract and doing something. Um, I just don't, still know, don't know. So wait, what, what the what's the firing about? And what yeah. they're going to do. And yeah. we also don't know the future. Like you said, Austin Ainge, we don't know what Mike, where Mike Zarin fits into this too. Because uh, Mike Zarin is a guy that a lot of teams are looking at to be their GM, uh, so you've just leapfrogged him with with Brad. So it 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 brings to mind just so many questions, and I don't think we have any answers. And like you said, I don't know we're going to get many answers because it's kind of status quo, and you know they're gonna they're allowing the the assistants to you know have kind of an internal hire process. And then All right, hold like, on. You're moving on too far. We have to go back. I, to I'm the just fire. saying it's it's yeah, very. They're keeping yeah, very much in house. Yeah, yeah, right. for sure. Yeah. But what's the deal? But you said that they kind of indicated that they felt like this is a firing. What do you? They're firing them for this season after the run that they just look, had in the bubble. Like that's look, the most short-sighted, ridiculous bunch of nonsense. And unless they feel like Danny is somehow responsible for the absolute bullshit from the refs. I don't know where else you go with that. Well, it's these players. Tatum just had, you know, four 50-point games. And if you're firing Ainge, you got to fire Brad because the it's not about, yeah, it's somewhat about the roster construction, but they didn't have a full off season to make the tweaks and do everything else that they did. They had, like, what, three friggin' weeks to handle free agency and get things in an order and get them into camp. Like, the whole thing, it would just be ignorance. You know, it would be ignorance. And if you were to fire somebody for for not being able to get the team to where they needed to go, you'd have to go with Brad. Yeah. You know? And and that's still stupid. 
because they couldn't stay healthy a lick. And that's not Danny's fault. I mean, unless they're holding Danny accountable for trading for Kemba and kept, you know, maybe they missed something on the medical reports or Danny said, let's do it anyway. But that, if there's a firing, the only reason to fire anybody at this stage of the game, after where we've been over the last 18 months, it would be for trading. It would be for not really trading. It would be for bringing Kemba in and, and not finding a way to maybe keep Rozier or just turning it over to the younger guard and seeing what they could get, you know, in the cap space opened up later. That's, yeah, the, I, that's the only reason to fire Danny. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't really give any of that any sort of, you know, credence. I, I think it's a lot more believable to say these guys were were close with Danny he had all the support in the world from them. He just simply he saw the writing on the wall. He saw that his connection with these players was not what it once was. He saw his health. He saw, you know, kind of all of that. He decided and, and Mark Murphy reported this. He 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 told ownership after the trade deadline that he was going to well, wrap yeah. up. And and you that's see what a I mean. lot How of people. How do they keep that quiet for that long? Well, that's no, insane. But the, well, they've kept it quiet, but they haven't because that's the thing that all these reporters are saying. Well, there were rumors and there were whispers that he maybe this may be it for him. Um, so I and think how did that they prevent part, anybody from even alluding to those rumors? Oh, how I've the heard, hell did those? No, I heard that. I heard people saying that. In, in oh, really? You know, okay. Well, yeah, there there were all kinds of little whispery podcasty things. Well, you know, who knows? There's going to be big changes. You know that kind of thing. I, 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 the thing is, is, I don't think it really matters, right? Like, you know, no one reported it. No one went on the record. Nobody said anything. The, the Obviously, the big thing is Brad being the guy. Um, and I think everyone expected Brad to be, continue to be the coach, and they'd find a new new GM. You know, that would just be the way you'd do it. Um, the the big shock in this is the elevation of Brad Stevens to, to, to be – the Danny Ainge. And, and that's when the 18 years kind of comes back and yells in your face and be like, so the guy who like did this at a very high level for 18 years is leaving. And now you're going to replace him with somebody who, who's really his duties were not, there was very little overlap between those two guys. You know, he, Brad would always say, you know, I haven't looked at any of the draft guys that, you know, I look at them at the last minute or whatever, you know? So, they there really is an overlap there, and so I, there's there are questions, and I think that's really the part where we have even fewer answers than anything in terms of what does a Brad Stevens era look like. I think we had more answers about what Danny Ainge would look like as a GM. I have more questions about what Brad Stevens looks like than than I did Danny Ainge in 2003. I think it makes a ton of sense to move Brad into this position. I've always felt like he's more of the basketball analyst and and mind and really right in that same mold as Zarin in in a way. And I you know I to your point you know where does does Zarin keep the same mold or now that Danny's gone does he just go ahead and go take you know a GM position et cetera et cetera maybe they knew or predicted that Zarin would do that and so Brad naturally kind of like carries the torch forward you know by filling what will become what they assume will become a gap with Zarin's departure in addition to Danny's but I've always thought he makes more sense in that front office 
kind of role than a coaching role anyway. They need a player's coach. I think, I mean, if you just look out there, most of the teams that are having success right now have, you know, players, coaches who literally played. You know, you look at Doc, you know, look at what Kerr has accomplished over recent years. Now you've got Steve Nash. You know, the players, especially this generation, you know, tend to respond to former players. And and I think that's a disadvantage for Brad on the court as a coach, and I think it's an advantage for Brad in the clubhouse because you have to have a degree of separation. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think it's a better fit, to be honest with you. And uh, I guess we'll just see because that doesn't mean the team gets better. I think it's a better fit for Brad, but I'm not saying that they end up with a better head coach, and I'm not saying Brad's better than Danny. I'm just saying I think that the front office position is something that Brad was always headed towards. Yeah, I think the more immediate – I mean, let's 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 assume for a second that Mike Zarin is staying, um, at least in the, in the short term, right? That could be a very great – that could be a great – you know, fit. I mean, nobody knows the cap better than Mike Zarin. He's, he's experienced. Um, it, it can be a bit more co-equal than perhaps it's been. I, I think it's probably more equal than what we've seen. You know, Danny, I think has been a little bit more democratic about his ideas than, than I think a lot of people think. Um, and I, I suspect Brad will continue that idea. And I said, and I, so I think Mike is going to have plenty of say in the operation. It's just not his sole say, um, and I don't even know if that's what he wants, but I think that there's a there's a, a role there. But in terms of the coach and the need of the coach, I mean, it, there there does need to be um, the relationship between the coach and the player. I think is is really never more important than it is now. And you know, I, you said players coach, and I think a lot of people take that to mean as someone who's easy on the players. I don't know if that's necessarily the way it is as much as it's a, a building a guy who focuses on building relationships with his with his players, you know, and, and Doc did that. But Doc was also a hard ass who who nearly fought Rondo and, and went toe to toe with Paul Pierce and and got what he wanted out of because he was a badass guy from the south side of Chicago. Um, and so I think. The Celtics need a coach who has that backbone, who who will stand up and will say no, this is the way it's got to be, um, but but also is a guy that they go to the end of the earth to support. And and even today, with what Rondo went through and how caustic Rondo has been with other coaches, he loves Doc, talks to Doc all the time. Same mm-hmm. with Paul, same with KG. And it wasn't just because they won a championship; it was because that's the kind of guy Doc is. And and I think that's what they need. They need that that type of relationship at this point. You know, with where this team is and what those young stars need, they need someone to kick them a little bit, but also know, know let those guys know that they're in their corner. That's why I'm looking at Chauncey Billups. That's why I'm looking at Sam Cassell. And I think, you know, if this Carol Lawson thing, if 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 what. Um, you know, Scal said in terms of his belief that she'll she'll be a final candidate. I, I think that she's also very much in the mix. So um, you have to rely on those internal relationships. And I think those internal relationships for Brad are very important. And not being a guy who's been around the NBA and played and all that, I think he's going to rely on someone like Kara, who has a good relationship, uh, just as Doc 
was picked because he had a good relationship with Danny. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything in this world is relationships. Right. So that's the first place I would look. I'm not, I mean, I'm not saying that that's my bet. I'm just saying don't be surprised if it's a relationship. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, that's just how jobs happen, especially when somebody is taking their first job as the head of basketball operations. Right. They're going to want somebody that they can trust. If they're building a roster, they're going to want to know that the roster they're building is going to play a a style of basketball that they're building it for. Um, I think you're right about the democracy piece, too. But I, I think, honestly, like they have to build the roster around the talent they have. And they have to build a style. And so while I agree on the relationships piece, I definitely don't want a square peg and a round hole scenario going on where it's like, well, this is what I'm going to – Brad can't go out and say, I'm going to go try to get these players so we can play this game. What he needs to do is see what he has. And and you read any coaching book out there. You look at what Belichick does with the Patriots every single year – Nobody goes out and says, I'm going to acquire, with the exception of Phil Jackson, I'm going to go out and acquire the players that play what I want them to play, right? Instead, they look at the roster construction and they match the head coach and the coaching style with the talent that they have on the floor and their capabilities. And, you know, if you're talking about giving somebody a coaching job that hasn't been a head coach before, you know, that's going to be even harder for Brad to do. And that's where I'm a little bit questionable on the relationships piece because Brad's going to lose his job a year from now if they don't play better than this year. And so if he makes a poor head coaching choice and the coach loses the players and everything else, Brad's gone next year too. There's no second year on this for Brad, which is because he's already been here. Um and I do strongly feel that. Like, and I think the team's going to be way better next year just by virtue of having, you know, a somewhat, a near as normal offseason as ever, a chance to do some tweaking, a chance to get healthy. But you got to ask yourself if Rob and Kemba are ever going to be able to be fully healthy for an entire season, right? And one player, Rob, I think you're willing to live with that. His contract will dictate. Um, another player, Kemba Walker, you're probably not willing to live with that. Which is why you alluded, you know, on a show two days ago that Kemba may be gone this off season, and that's precisely how it boils down. And Rob's co- maybe they could do some things with Rob conditioning wise again with a full off season, and you know, maybe and, and maybe even just the way he plays, you know, maybe there's something that he's doing, you know, that's subjecting him to recurring injuries, or or maybe he's just fragile, or maybe it's a fluke, and the next thing you know, he'll play the next ten years and be injury free and whatever. Right. All those things are on the table. But with Kemba, this is on a downhill slide, man. And you can pretty much count on that. So uh, so I can see movement there. But I do think that there's a little bit of a gamble in, in the next year. I also feel like it's a perfect position for Brad, because in a lot of ways, they can only go up from here. Even if Kemba doesn't return, <laughs> um, you know, this team with a healthy Brown. And I'm not even sure he's going to start next season, right? Like, what's the rehab on that? Sounds oh, they, like it could be close. No, they, well, if you believe what was what was stated, uh, that it was actually a little bit lesser um, of a 
of recovery time. I think they said three months. Okay, so, so it'll be close. So he's he not going to have his off season, but he'll be able to start preseason. And and yeah. truthfully, after all of the basketball he's playing, him just resting, getting some rest <laughs> is not a bad thing. Yep. Yeah. So with all that in mind, I, you know, I have a hard time envisioning a world where this team doesn't perform better than this shortened season with with nearly their eyes closed. <laughs> and it will matter a little bit what they do with roster construction, and they'll matter, but but. That's why I say if there's not an improvement next year and Brad hires a coach that just can't corral them and the locker room isn't working and all of that, then there's going to be hell to pay for Brad, too. He's not going to hang on that long. Um, then then they'll really look to make a move. I mean, I think I think he'll have more than a year um, if, if, unless it goes really bad. I, I think he'll be. He'll be there more than a year. I but. think you'll get more than a year because I don't see a world where they don't just naturally improve, which is yeah. my point. If he makes but, a bad coaching hire and he brings in somebody inexperienced and he gambles and it totally they're, you know, just the same criticisms are here a year later. He's out. I, he's I, out. I, I don't know. I mean, I think that there's going to be a lot of criticism of the players. If I think I think that if there's a year or two and there's a different coach, you're going to see a lot more eyes on the players themselves than than you've even seen already. I I, th- I don't think that they're going to look at Brad Stevens as the reason because he's in a new role. He's not, you know, he's not the guy. The only thing that's been constant are those players, or the players that do return. So I think he'll have a little bit a little bit of time to figure it out. It's just. The problem is the options before him are not great, <laughs> right? Like we were talking about, they're not great. He doesn't have like an, an easy. Okay, you know, I can go onto the you know tradenba.com and 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 work out a deal that you know gets off thirty six million dollars and you know remains competitive. It just it it, it just doesn't easily happen. Um, but having said that. You know, this is something that no one's really talked about, or at least I haven't heard a lot of people talking about it. You know, I think that Danny Ainge, the the mystique and the aura of Danny Ainge began to work, began to work against him over the last few years. You know, I think a lot of these guys came up as assistant GMs around the league. They're they have the top job now. They were assistant GMs, you know, ten five, you know, five, ten, fifteen years ago, and they saw Danny pants everybody over that time nobody wanted to get pantsed by Danny Ainge anymore and so he couldn't get even small deals done so you know that's why you walk into a a situation like uh, the 2015 draft where you take Rozier and you take RJ Hunter and you you take uh, let's see who was the who was the big Um, you know you your or 16 where you end up having to you got the 16th pick and you end up having to take Yabaselli because well we'll stash him and maybe he'll turn in the next Draymond Green, you know those he he wasn't able to move those small pieces he couldn't turn the ample picks he's had the last the last two seasons into into veteran players who could you know support and build towards some sort of winning team um, possibly putting them over the top, you know I think that really worked against him. And and even at the deadline, you know, Adam Hillsbach posted a story tonight about how, you know, it wasn't until after the deadline he made the decision. Well, he was trying pretty hard to get Aaron Gordon. He was trying pretty hard to get Vucevic. 
you know, and he couldn't get that done. If he gets those deals done with Chicago and Orlando, maybe there's a different feeling from him. Maybe he feels like he's still got the juice. Or maybe he just said, you know what, I don't have it anymore. I can't get things done. Now Brad Stevens is going to be able, new guy, new thoughts, new ideas. Um, maybe that is actually going to make things a little bit easier uh, to create some movement for the Celtics um, and, and to be able to make things happen. I don't know. I, I'm not saying that's true, but it just feels like the, the the looming arc of what Danny has done, those those great deals he's he's done over the past few years, everyone's afraid of, of being taken. And I think it, it became he became more than just another GM uh, making a phone call inquiring about uh, a player on somebody's team, you know. <sighs> well, um, we're about to we're about to learn a lot about this organization, I think. But we're just going to have to read between the tea leaves a little bit. And this has been a rough year. We lost, you know, Tommy. Um, you know, now we're losing Ainge. Like again, bookending, a lot of changing of the guard. Man, it's a really, uh, it's it's really it's really. Uh, I don't even want to say. I, I keep wanting to use the word interesting. It's not interesting. It's there's you know there's there's a certain level of sadness behind it. Yeah. You know, if I were you know, I'm gonna kind of wrap up our our. Our did it did it did it did it emergency podcast did it did it did it the the Amber Alert where did our GM go um so you know I kind of wrap when I kind of wrap it up and just say like it is it's a little bit of a somber day like I wish I could say that I'm optimistic you know and normally you know when big things happen like this you and I do get kind of optimistic um and it's not that I'm pessimistic about Brad moving into this role. I've just become accustomed and I've always been pretty happy with the job that Danny's done. Do I think he, I mean, I think he definitely missed out on the Miles Turner deal. You know, there were definitely some things that happened over the last year that I think, you know, maybe he overplayed his hand or whatever, but I mean, but but in large part over 18 years, the the guys that he picked early on that he then spun off that won him a championship and even Rondo, come on, guys. You know, Rondo is all of a sudden starting on a championship team in his second year, and he's picked in the 20s. Yes. Um, I mean, I just think there's just too much good that happened over that 18 years for me to be like, oh, thank God, a fresh face. Oh, not really a fresh face. And I'm a big Brad fan. I'm not going to say I'm a Brad apologist, but, you know, I've been a pretty big believer in Brad, and he's going to be able to handle the media. I think he's got the right disposition to be able to kind of do what Danny did as a GM and, you know, and he's even keeled as all get out. I mean, I think there's a lot of positive attributes, but I'm not optimistic. You know, I'm kind of, you know, almost, uh, you know, sad for the past. That's only just now becoming the past in a way, you know, I, I love Jason and Jalen and, you know, I've been excited about the future when it comes to the players and that's definitely true, but Saying goodbye to some people in this organization that, you know, honestly, uh, Celtics stuff live over the last not quite 18 years. Um, but just, you know, think about the things that that we've done, you know, not not just with this podcast or, you know, getting the credentials and, you know, this young group that's just absolutely surpassing anything that that I ever did, you know, having, you know, called me the pod father, you know, like. 
having an opportunity to be in a movie. Like, think about all those things that have happened to us, John, you know, over the last X number of years. And it's, you know, um, I've let a lot of that go for a lot of different reasons. We do this for fun now. And, um, you know, but there was a time when we did this with career aspirations. You know, we did this with business aspirations. And, you know, as I as I kind of let go of those things over the years and even took a I took a break when I relocated my family and and let go of the credential access to the Celtics. You know, when those things happened, um, it's moments like this that make me nostalgic, you know. Oh, man, I remember when I was in my young 30s and, you know, I didn't know shit and I really didn't. You know, I thought I did, man. I definitely thought I did. But I didn't I didn't even have the level of confidence that I have today. You know, I didn't even know who I was at all in my early 30s. Um, And maybe I still don't. But when I look back, you know, to everything that that we were doing at that time in the early, you know, 2000s, I mean, cripes. We started this podcast the year the term podcast was coined, and it certainly hadn't reached us in Maine. I don't think I heard the term podcast for at least two years into it. We used to call it a toll-free call-in webcast produced specifically for Celtics fans. And so, you know, um, I, I am definitely nostalgia, nostalgic, and I am experiencing that, you know, for the hope that when they hired Danny, I felt like I was getting behind a winner. I felt like I was getting behind something that was coming on the heels of some some pretty big turnarounds for the Patriots and the Red Sox, you know, for one of my my very very favorite teams and my definitely favorite sport. And um, you know, we're getting older, dude, and you got to kind of put all that into a little bit of perspective. And and you know, D- Danny retiring today definitely, uh, you know, just kind of makes me sit back right now and think about that. Yeah. No, I I yeah I, I get it. I I I definitely do. And I mean, there's a lot of questions. You know, I the one thing I kind of keep coming back to is you know that there's a philosophy and a way to build a team that I really subscribe to. I think it works. I think it's successful. Um, I think it's been tried and true over 18 years. And um, you know, I, I want to know what's different that that Brad Stevens sees. You know, there was a comment that you know the brand that that Danny made today where you know he had something like Brad and I haven't always agreed on on everything. We agree on most things, but we haven't agreed on all things. And now it's his turn. I'm interested in what those things are. You know, was 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 <laughs> Brad on draft night hoping that uh, you know uh, Brandon Clark would be available for the Celtics uh, rather than you know. Um, you know, taking Grant um, was, you know, those are the types of things that I'm, I'm kind of interested by. And of course, we'll never know. There's no way in hell he's going to tell us. Uh, but I, that's the thing to me. I, I, I think they, they can find a coach who can, who can work with these guys and there'll be a short term bump to, to the way that things work in Boston and, and, and for the way the Celtics work. I'm more concerned over the long term of, about build, building a roster, building a team, building a team that works. And, you know, I think that there are some questions that were to be asked about the ability to communicate with star players in 2021. Um, it worked with KG. It worked with Paul. Why didn't it work with Kyrie Irving? Why didn't it, why didn't Al Horford stick around? Why did you know, Gordon Hayward leave? Those are questions I still have that I still don't really have good answers to. I have things I think, 
and I put a lot on the player, maybe I should be putting more on the on the GM. Those are things I don't know, but but when I that's like the immediate. But when I step back further, like you said, I'm really more about I'm lamenting. I'm kind of I'm sad. It's kind of bittersweet. That was the kind of the word of the day. It's bittersweet. I'm happy for what he did. I'm, I want him to enjoy his whatever whatever sort of retirement he's going to have. But I I also feel like he's getting kind of a raw deal. And I think there's a lot of people who are kind of celebrating of sorts uh, what's going on. And, and I, I think be careful what you wish for because I think it's a lot harder to do this and uh, than, than, than they like. And I don't think – I think I don't think people have that that knowledge that you and I had 18 years ago of what it was like on the other side of this, because we had a very clear understanding of what the Celtics look like when they're really bad. And as bad as this year was, it was bad because they had expectations. Back yep. then, there were no expectations, and they were still and they were really bad. So it's it's uh, it's a different world, and uh, we'll see how Brad Stevens is able to uh, to live in that world. Well, you're right. That's what it is when you get spoiled. And you didn't just get spoiled if you're a diehard New England fan from the Celtics. You got spoiled from just the whole darn thing over the last two decades. And, uh, you know, it, things like that don't last forever. Hopefully uh, this will be the, the next era, and that'll be great. But you know what? That's going to do it for this week's bonus or this bonus episode of Celtic Stuff Live. And I'm going to end on this. A heartfelt thank you to Danny for doing everything that he did to make my life uh, much more enjoyable over the last 20 years. And, uh, you know, I'm going to thank a lot of guys in that organization because I bet some of them are going to be moving on um, with a regime change. You know, the guys like Zarin and even Jeff Twist, who gave this punk a chance, uh, along with Brian Olive at coming in and covering that game. So, Danny, thank you. Uh, Thank you for what you did. I've really, really loved uh, watching this team over the last 20 years. And, Brad, good luck to you, man. All right, that's going to do it on behalf of founder of CLNS Media, Nick Gelso, and my co-host, John Duke. I'm Justin Poole, and thank you for listening to this bonus episode of Celtic Stuff Live.